Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we are diving into Twin Peaks Season 2, Episode 9. Yes, it feels like such a finale. But it's the <laughs> <laughs> finale of Maya's favorite trilogy of episodes. <laughs> yes, I've been saying, oh, uh, well, first let me introduce our guest because yes. I want to add him to the conversation immediately. <laughs> uh, we have coming back for the second time for our second, or he was in our first finale, Twin Peaks episode, uh, John Bernardi from 20... 20- 25 years later, which you can see yourself awesome. from 25 years later. <laughs> yeah, I would. <laughs> and thanks for having me back. I, I really enjoy coming in for these kind of like finale moments. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I feel like we get a real expert. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> and man, this is, even though it's not a finale, it feels like a finale. And it was, mm-hmm. yeah. I was saying, I've been saying for the last two episodes that these three episodes seven eight nine feel like you could argue that they are the three best continuous episodes of twin peaks together Mm -hmm. i mean i haven't formulated an argument for that but (laughs) it can be argued (laughs) yeah well it makes sense i mean it's like the culmination of like everything that the public has been really really interested in like all happening all at the same time and I know when I was a kid, I used to think that like the last episode and this one was like maybe six episodes total. <laughs> like there's just so much that happens in this and it really, it really does have this great flow to it. Yes. I, I was saying the same thing that I, in my memory, these three episodes are like six episodes long. <laughs> like mm-hmm. so much happens in them. <laughs> I mean, even though I wouldn't, I mean, there's a big culmination of the stories, it's not like a ton of random stuff happens, but you know, it's just like, it feels like so much is encompassed in these three episodes. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And it's the I, only um, three episodes where we know more than Cooper and the rest of the guys. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or like once not in the dark. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's a great showcase for Ray Wise. I mean, Oh hell yeah. Oh yeah. I think if he hadn't been the killer and just had been a normal part of the show, I don't know that he would have so much. I mean, when I think of Twin Peaks, he's like one of the people I immediately think mm-hmm. of as like the star of the show. And even though, you know, he's not really in the rest of it. And before this, he was kind of, you could have just kind of like, you know, said, oh, he's just a quirky character. But this these three episodes make him like a star of Twin yes. Peaks. Absolutely. Especially this one. Yeah. Yeah. He's so good. It's just crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So um, can you remember your first impression when you saw this one, John? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I mean, this was, I just remember, like, I mean, I know based on like how terrified I was of like, you know, looking into mirrors for Bob and everything, you know, it's like, that's, that was like my primary thing at this point in time was just like, you know, dealing with the fear. So, you know, like I, I just wanted, I just wanted them to catch Leland and just be done with it as soon as humanly possible. <laughs> so, so not to terrify you anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let, let's get to a good ending so that, you know, like I can work with that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, what about you, Christian? You just watched it for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I've was i been thinking about these 
past three episodes, because you mentioned they're kind of like the best continuous three episodes of the show. And they do seem, I remember in the past two episodes, I think I had made comments about how they just felt like a little bit different in a good way. Like they just felt like they had a different tone. And I feel the same with this one. Like even a lot of like the camera shots in these three episodes have been so different than what we've seen before. And so this episode, it just, it feels like this episode and the last two were almost like in a way fan service. And I'm putting quotes um, just because I know they had been pushed to reveal the killer sooner. And so, but it feels like fan service done the way that David Lynch would want it to be done. Like it's done really well. Mm -hmm. So it's not like just giving us what we want. It's giving us what we want as part of the story. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's like, you know, we get so much in this episode and it feels so like conclusive, but I still have about 50,000 questions that came up during the course (laughs) of it. (laughs) (laughs) But I really, really loved this episode It was just so, it was so dark and just that whole interrogation room scene where they shoved Leland in was so Mm -hmm. intense and I could not, like I remember I watched it last night like at like midnight and I remember like once that happened I was like, oh, I'm awake now. Like (laughs) there's no way I'm going to go to bed now. (laughs) It was really good. I really loved this episode. Yeah. Me too. I watched it last night and I was like, I know I've seen this episode a million times. I've already watched it once for writing the recap and it's giving me that scary vibe and I feel like I need to watch something nice afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess, um, you know, I can't do first impressions, but this time watching it, I started to, because the end is so talking about what is the reality of Twin Peaks? Is it metaphysical? Is it, you know, and with the whole Tremont thing going on, Mm -hmm. I was starting to think like, are there two realities going on at the same time? And I was like, that does seem right for Twin Peaks. So I feel like I'm starting to formulate a theory that maybe other people have already had, but I don't really have, as we talked about it, maybe it'll become more clear in my mind, but (laughs) Um, yeah, that was my impression this time. Well, based on everything I've been working on, I would would definitely say I sympathize with your your approach right now. Yeah, there's, there's just a lot of, yeah <laughs> there, there's um you know the 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 darkness in the woods and everything kind of yeah. th- there's a certain amount of man please hold for technical difficulties <laughs> hello <laughs> okay so based on everything that you just said about like having multiple like multiple realities happening as a working theory uh-huh. i would tend to agree with that uh, you know, based on based on everything that I'm working on right now, I would totally sympathize with that. I don't want to go too deep into it, but <laughs> there, there's a lot of there's a lot of mileage you can get out of that mindset. Yeah, I would say that the very last scene of Twin Peaks that has been made so far <laughs> might imply the same thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, this episode it is very much the kind of episode that makes those kind of theories kind of come out about the show (laughs) for me especially I kind of have my own theories maybe about what Bob represents if we're kind of kind of like bring that into like real life stuff which we can talk about at the end but the whole like two realities it really makes you think of those like you know multiple kind of like 
Supernatural-esque TV shows where there is like one spot on the, like there's like this spot and it's kind of a portal to either another dimension or like some other sort of reality that we live in. And Twin Peaks, I feel like the forest can maybe serve as that kind of portal. Very vibes. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Otherworldly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, world between you know, worlds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With all the Shakespeare references. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then either like, you know, you can argue whether the owls or Laura or certain people are like kind of conduits for these mm-hmm. otherworldly beings to kind of travel and, you know, whatever their purpose is to cause mischief or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I totally got that from this episode. Well, even the characters at the end are are kind of being, you know, they're speculating what's going on. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it really lends itself to that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, should we go ahead and get into the notes? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So our notes for season two, episode nine, it was directed by Tim Hunter. Yes. Didn't he just do, he did the one with the big storm, right? Uh, no, no, that was Todd Holland. He, um, oh. <laughs> uh, Tim Hunter, the last one he did was in season one and it was the one with the llama. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay. And then this episode was written by Mark Frost, Harley Payton, and Robert Ingalls. So we had three writers for it. It's a big episode. Yeah. yeah. And David Lynch was actually very involved with the plot beats. Like yeah. I, I, the stuff I've read, like him and Mark Frost, they really worked together, like with the Tibetan Book of the Dead and everything like that. Like, you know, Lynch was very much a part of that. Yeah. Well, it feels very, I mean, there's definitely key David Lynch elements yeah. <laughs> things that i would think this is a david lynch thing that go on in this episode so yeah that makes sense especially considering he directed seven you know mm-hmm. and they all kind of are a piece together it seems yeah 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 and you know with them two i personally always kind of consider them quote unquote like if they're not credited writers they're uncredited writers for each episode oh, yeah. just because Definitely. they're so influential on the show it's their show but as far as new characters, we did have a couple new ones. We had Ian Buchanan returning as Dick Tremaine. <laughs> um, Don S. Davies returning as Major Briggs. And then we had Michael J. Anderson returning as the man from another place. Oh, yeah. The dancing man. And then we had Clive Rosengrin as Mr. Zipper. I don't know if he returned, though, or if he was just, you know, they used an old footage of him i think it's archival footage but yeah you know he's featured in it well, yeah he's still mm-hmm. <laughs> the waiter hake warden return and then this is technically the first episode that frank silva was credited as bob officially oh, really? huh. yeah isn't that weird i wonder why they're not <laughs> crediting him maybe it was like it helped it with the mystery scariness to just probably bob <laughs> yeah so that i don't know maybe no spoilers of any kind could come about yeah they were very concerned about spoilers but he also wasn't in the act. I'm a, well, I don't know. He might have been in the Actors Guild. I think he was That's an true. actor as well. So there might have been some yeah. something. Weird rules. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Showbiz. And then some quick little trivia things. Kyle McLaughlin got his second Emmy Award nomination for this episode. Okay. And then uh, he also said when they were promoting the return, he stated that the shot of Leland when he was screaming in the sprinklers is his favorite shot of the entire show because it was so like impactful and beautiful. Hmm. 
I'm sure to watch in person. Yeah, that water was definitely, you know, it definitely added so much to that scene. Yeah. 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 And then I have the uh, Log Lady intro, if you would like me to read it. Yes, please. <laughs> All right. So now the sadness comes, the revelation. There is a depression after an answer is given. It was almost fun not knowing. Yes, now we know. At least we know what we saw in the beginning. But there is still the question, why? And this question will go on and on until the final answer comes. Then the knowing is so full, there is no room for questions. That's a good one. I mean, that one's pretty straightforward. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Still plenty of questions, though. Yeah. Talking directly to the audience. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Lynch, a couple of years later, still trying to come to terms with the whole situation. Yeah, right. <laughs> <sighs> okay, well, should we just go ahead and get into the recap? I wrote so many words for this recap. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much, yes. I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> okay. Episode nine, arbitrary law. Or actually, do we know what the real number is of this episode? Oh, it's um, it's sixteen. Sixteen. I get so freaking confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, just just from counting the pilot as zero, like that right yeah. there, like just makes a mess of everything. <laughs> yeah. It, <does. laughs> it only works when I had the VHS box set with yeah <laughs> all them all together. Yeah. I know it's kind of nice that the German subtitles happen <laughs> just for yes, you know I'm... it's like okay you know we're not going to confuse anything with their arbitrary law anyway yeah yeah I'm yes definitely glad for the subtitles I was just mm. commenting that in one of our previous episodes on like yes we should just embrace these as how we know which episode <laughs> is which <laughs> too confusing and they're really they're great I think that the titles that they've do you know who came up with the titles no no it was just when it got regionalized for germany they just like that's how they did things on their tv shows so they just came up with the, what they came up with and oh, sometimes they knock it job. out of the park and sometimes <laughs> they sometimes you gotta kind of wonder like cooper's dreams like it really didn't have anything to do with anything except for possible repercussions from cooper's dreams but you know i mean besides random little things like that they they did okay yeah 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 <laughs> okay well uh okay so arbitrary law we start off we see maddie dead wrapped in plastic on the shore albert cooper harry and hawk doing <laughs> an early 90s version of the slow walk <laughs> <laughs> i like the hero show yeah this is so good <laughs> we hear the birds whistling under the sad ominous music Albert shows them the O that they found under Maddie's nail. And they also found white fur in her hand. White fox, which we definitely saw in the previous episode. Uh, Leland putting a little mm -hmm. bit in his pocket. Cooper asks Harry for 24 hours before he tells anyone about it so that he can solve this murder. And Albert encourages him to go on whatever kind of vision quest he needs that only he can solve it <laughs> mm -hmm. and hawk seconds albert's encouragement and there's lots of upward askew camera angles in this mm -hmm. scene. <laughs> yeah I yeah really tim hunter was the only one allowed uh, of all the directors he was the only one allowed to do dutch angles really yeah <laughs> wow. that's 
surprising. I feel like I've seen them before in this show. Maybe just possibly his from him. <laughs> <laughs> what? Why? Why? Do you know why that is? Was he just like? I'm not sure. I think. I think maybe just because they were like maybe it was just that they were being overused at the time or whatever. But uh, Lynch just didn't really care for them being you know because i mean you can you can do that for anything in that drama and i i think i think lynch probably figured since he's seen like you know the river's edge and all those other things like i think he figured tim hunter like would do it sensibly according oh, okay. to like lynch's own uh what do you call it <laughs> yeah like uh, it, aesthetic or <laughs> yes yeah, like yeah, I, I think he trusted Tim Hunter to be able to play ball in the right sandbox with the <laughs> with the Dutch angles. Nice. <laughs> I never realized. I think I have read that before, but it never clicked in my brain. Okay, let's see. Oh, Donna is at the double R, <laughs> sitting in dark, very noir looking, because it's got this, this bright light of her face, and James joins her. They seem so happy for the moment. yeah for seven location scenes (laughs) (laughs) yeah right she says that she could sing about last night (laughs) 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 i guess they consummated their relationship last night i mean i don't think they had before but they definitely were acting like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we didn't get to see any of that though. I feel gypped. No. <laughs> <laughs> James gives her a diamond ring. <laughs> like he's proposing. Diamond in yeah. quotes. <laughs> I was like, how are you affording this, James? But yeah, maybe it was a cubic zirconia. I was like, or it's a very nice yeah. cubic zirconia from <laughs> <laughs> nice forty dollar ring. <laughs> Luckily it fits perfectly. <laughs> Um, did I, did you catch like the read that he kind of gave Donna where he said like the, the jeweler had very big hands and then, and they laughed about it and then it fit perfectly on her hand. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> he was, he saying, was like, like, I had to go down a few sizes. I just had to oh, guess. I didn't hear that part. I thought he was saying like, oh, she had big hands. So like, I don't know if it'll fit. And then it fit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was like, oh, okay. Uh... <laughs> Well, you know, maybe he was, considering what happens in a few short episodes from now. I mean, scenes from now. <laughs> right. But at the moment, he thinks they should be together all the time. Mm-hmm. Young mm-hmm. love. <laughs> yeah. Gross. He's not fickle at all. <laughs> oh, my God. I have some choice words for James when we get to the later scene. <laughs> yeah. Okay, at the counter, though, Vivian is spitting out her eggs. Norma doesn't think anything she does is ever good enough for her. And Vivian gives her some cooking tips. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. what did Christian think of those cooking tips? Because <laughs> she's oh, like, yeah. the best omelet is with morel mushrooms and yes. white <laughs> sausage or something. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like such a, um, a weird recommendation because I'm not sure exactly if morels are native to Seattle, but they're very like difficult mushrooms to cook if you don't cook them correctly they can make you sick and die so (laughs) i'm pretty sure there was a recently someone in italy who had died from eating them at a michelin star restaurant so wow you know it's not really confirmed related but that's what she ate but uh (laughs) 
so it was just a weird it's just like i do not like Do- like norma's mom at all she's the worst but what are yeah. recommendations like white, mm-hmm. which is like white sausage and morel mushrooms it was like okay. you're at a diner what are you, what are you exactly <laughs> she's yeah. not looking for like a michelin star she's looking for a thumbs up what about ham and cheese okay that's yeah. what we know what we a nice do. denver omelet mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, meanwhile at another stool andy is reciting harold's suicide note to himself i'm a lonely soul <laughs> i mean in french mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> 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 keep trying and keep getting it wrong <laughs> well no you're doing it the andy way <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're just re- reciting the line yeah uh, Don and Donna and James come over and ask what he's saying. He tells, or Donna tells Andy about Mrs. Tremon and their grandson, and she has to find Cooper. This is a really interesting scene. Donna, Andy, and Cooper go to see the Tremons, and a very different lady answers the door. <laughs> yep. She is Mrs. Tremon, but she has no idea about the older lady and her grandson. But she does have something for Donna. A page from the diary, February 22nd. She dreamed, this is, uh, Laura, this is not in the diary. I looked at the diary. I was like, is this in here? I don't remember it. And it was not. It must have been one of the pages that was ripped out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she dreamed uh, Cooper's red room dream, basically. She tried to tell the old man, who was Cooper, who killed her, but it was hard to talk. Bob's only afraid of one man, a man named Mike. And then we get the February 23rd entry, which is, Tonight is the night I die. She knows that she has to keep him from hurting her. And I checked the diary. The entry is not at the end of the book we read. (laughs) The page before the last entry, though, was torn away. So presumably that was it. Because I know when we read the book, I was like, Laura is not saying that she wants to die. And this one page from the series does kind of imply that, but there's nothing in the diary that implies that. Mm -hmm. I mean, she wants, I mean, she has suicidal thoughts, but not like I'm dying tonight. You know, I got to fight Bob and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I always rub against that concept. It kind of bothers me. Yeah. I, um, I just got under the impression that because of what we kind of hear later about how she was, the basically the only one able to fight off Bob and kind of prevent him from taking over her and that she maybe wanted to die because in a sense of like she was like I that's gonna be my like the last resort I'm never gonna let him take over yeah yeah, that was kind of my understanding Mm -hmm. of her quote-unquote wanting to die yeah I just sometimes hear people talking about it like you know, and I don't know, just yeah, it's almost of, romanticized or something. Yeah. Or it's, yeah, I'm like she didn't go there looking to be mm-hmm. killed by her, her father. No. You know, it was just <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so anyway, I also wanted to say, Mrs. Tremon, I love the new Mrs. Tremon. Cracks <laughs> mm-hmm. me up. Yeah, she's a I, fun character. I wish we saw more of her. I wonder, did she get the Meals on Wheels? Was she? Was is this like this? This is where I'm like, there's got to be two realities going on, at the same time in the same place because. Oh yeah. I mean, the Tremons are getting meals on wheels. Donna went there. <laughs> they were yeah. kind of magical, but the food had to be delivered somewhere. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. The, the thing that really confuses me about this whole thing is that like Cooper is completely uninterested in the fact that, you know, it's like there was this, this one house and then another house, according to Donna. And, um, you know, it's like, wouldn't, wouldn't he want to investigate that a little bit? I mean, I understand the speed of plot, you know, it's like they, they have this one end scene to achieve. So, you know, it's like, you've got to cut out this, 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 and this. Yeah. But, you know, it's like th- this whole thing is just like glossed over. It's kind of like when when Donna saw the Tremons in the first place. It's like once once they leave the scene with the Tremons, it's almost like everybody forgets that the Tremons even happened. Yeah, which is I think maybe why I was getting like the fae otherworldly vibes, because it's like you can't remember the reality of what you lived because of mm-hmm. all this, you know, two things yeah. existing at the same time. Yeah, because you're more awake now. Yeah, yeah. A dream world and a real world. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And was anybody else bothered by the fact that Cooper just kept making Donna read all that stuff that was obviously upsetting <laughs> and possibly evidence? <laughs> Retriggering? <laughs> yeah. Her best yeah, friend's I mean, murder. She's obviously getting more and more upset as she's reading it. It's like, you know, Cooper being being the uh, the chivalrous guy, you know, it's like he's like, you know, like, what, what, couldn't he have just like said, you know, it's okay, Donna, you don't have to read anymore. And then like, maybe he starts reading it or something. Yeah. Yeah. That really I stuck out this time. So rushed. I mean, it's not rushed, mm-hmm. but it just feels like, you know, we got to get this done this episode. But if they had yeah. you know, given them the space to be able to do multiple episodes, because yeah, Cooper's like, he's got 24 hours basically to well, solve yeah. it. And yeah, that's true. He's cutting corners. Yeah. And also, Lara Flynn Boyle's great at reading that stuff. She's been, I yeah. mean, she's fantastic. I don't, my memory of Donna is not the best, but it might be just because <laughs> the second half of the season is not her best storylines. But so far, like this whole first half of the first, mm-hmm. second season, she has just really shined. She's been, oh, great. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, she's a little, you know, young with her mentality. But, you know, she's supposed to be a young character. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Well, like that first scene with her and James, I noticed she kind of looked like the old Donna from the first season again. You know, she had that innocentness back to her. She wasn't smoking cigarettes with her sunglasses on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. Let's see. Where was I? Okay. Well, Coop (laughs) is all over the place because he's now back at the Great Northern with Doc Hayward leaning over Mike concerned. These, they're saying if they don't give him his drugs, it might kill him. And Cooper tells Mike that Bob is killed again. And he asks him about his dream. And Mike gives a clue about a golden circle, a ring, which we did see a ring earlier, but not the same ring. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cooper gives his, oh, Cooper gave his ring to the giant, he says. And oh, uh, Mike tells him that he's real, the giant, and he can help him find Bob. He just has to ask him. He has all he needs. That's very uh, Dorothy. You just have to click your heels together. (laughs) That's what you want. Wizard of Oz. (laughs) I was thinking about this scene, and I don't know if it's ever going to be explained, but it seems like I don't know if it's necessarily Mike or if it's the one-armed man, but it seems like he's very unstable compared to Bob when he's in charge over Leland. And I don't, I don't know if there's any sort of explanation for why that is. 
I don't know unless it's just something to do with Mike's change of personality, losing the arm maybe, or maybe because he is a better creature now, he lets his host have more of his own life. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's, like, it's really destructive to the person, you know, who you're possessing. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, like you can see the change with with Leland now that Bob's more in charge. Because I mean, for a while there, it looked like Leland was more more in charge. Like I, th- there was like this flash of white light in that one. Well, the the Maddie death scene, and um, like pretty much from that point forward, it almost seems like Bob's the only one in charge. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Because even when you think it's Leland, he'll look in the mirror and laugh to himself. And you're like, okay, yeah. Leland is gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, I, I think that right now, you know, with Mike being in charge, I mean, it's just as unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, um, I had gotten un- under the impression that once Laura had been killed, that that was Bob the whole time, just because his hair turned white and he seemed to always be dancing and that seems to be kind of Bob's MO. Mm. And then I look back at the secret diary and look back to like throughout when Laura's writing it from when she's young to when mm-hmm. before, right before she dies and how many times she references how her dad wants to dance with her and blah, blah, blah. So I, I just, I was just like curious as to why maybe Mike seems like he's more unstable in the one armed man um, just because we're also I guess under the impression that this man's been taking the drugs to suppress Mike for a long time. Right. It mm-hmm. seems just part of his normal routine. So I was just curious as to if there was ever an explanation or, but um, it just might be one of those things where it's kind of like up to, up to us to kind of figure out. Yeah. And, I mean, if I had to guess, like my own personal theory would be that because Bob says later, you know, Leland is full of holes, like maybe just their presence, like, deteriorates them and so at this point it's like all bob running the ship because if it wasn't leland wouldn't really be able to function and so maybe mike lets philip you know live his own life so that he won't destroy him but now because he's mm-hmm. needed he's like poking his own holes in him i don't know <laughs> Does that yeah make sense? or it could be that philip is resisting and that because yeah, leland true. has kind of it seems like at this point has maybe given up and lost yeah. control. So mm-hmm. it could be that too. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Cooper is just standing like contemplative in the hallway after this. And uh, <laughs> Senior Drill Cup tells him <laughs> that his milk is getting warmer now. What's, is there a better name? It's just the waiter. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think um, the official title is elderly room service waiter. That's a but thing. that's a mouthful. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just feels like rude calling him senior drill cup, but it also is really funny and it's the mm-hmm. like real name he's ever gotten. <laughs> yeah, he's just referenced as a waiter on like his credit. We'll just call him senior from now on. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So his milk is getting warmer now, which I guess means he's getting closer. <laughs> You're getting hotter. <laughs> God, I mean, there. This whole last. You know, a few episodes, it's just amazing to me how many places the police are at. Like, it's like goes from one scene where they're one place, another scene where they're another place. Mm-hmm. It's all happening at the same time. So they're at Ben's office now. They see the fox and learn that there was a call to Laura the night she died from the office or from his cell phone. And they also have the results of Ben's blood test. 
<laughs> not that exciting. Okay, so then at the station, the sprinkler adjuster guy is setting things up just so. Mm. We can see another worker and we're setting up the future. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Andy wants to talk to Lucy about their maybe baby. And <laughs> Lucy tells him that it may be dicks. It's a 50-50 proposition. <laughs> <laughs> And then Andy calls Tremaine. They need to talk if he's not too busy. <laughs> I love Lucy's face during the whole thing when he's like, oh, I want to speak to Dick Tremaine. And she's just oh, yeah, like she's into it. Face. Yes. <laughs> she is so into it right up until that, that like, like, oh. If he's not too busy like... and she's like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. She is she wants like. She to fight for her so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's almost like she's obsessed with this, like, quote unquote bad boy image like she, he doesn't own a leather jacket and he doesn't smoke and you know he doesn't have I don't know he doesn't wash nice his car. car yeah and it's like yeah. what a weird like list of requirements for a partner yeah, yeah. hopefully she'll learn what's really important yeah okay a great scene Catherine in disguise comes to visit Ben <laughs> you were Christian was saying in the last episode, I can't wait to see Catherine's entrance. <laughs> yes. That was the game of this scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how have you been feeling about the whole Tojimura thing at all? What do you think, Christian? Well, I think it's it's very clearly problematic for her to be in, you know, I guess you could say pretending to be another nationality. But I do like the idea of her completely like like assuming that she's dead and her coming back as this alter ego to kind of pull one on Ben to get what she wants. I think that's like totally in line with her character and it makes me like her a lot more. I I personally wish she could have done someone else, but um, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I will say that the reveal is very like satisfying. It's very funny for her just to like slip her foot out. And then he's like, (laughs) I know exactly who that is. I will say for myself that, I think it's definitely, there's a difference between like this Mission Impossible style, we're going to be a completely different person than like, you know, an actor who's white putting on yellow face to be Mm -hmm. an actor. That's a totally different thing. I think it works in context with the show because we know that there is a large, you know, business Asian type community and it just is so opposite of Catherine that I think it works, Mm -hmm. but I can definitely see how it's problematic. But I don't think it's trying, I don't think it's like, you know, um, trying to go out of its way to be offensive or something. You know? Yeah. Like, no. Like it, a lot of it, older things, you know. Yeah, I would say I don't, the, the, I don't think it's necessarily like trying to be like those kind of minstrel shows that were like almost like a caricature of what a nationality or te- group of people was. I just think it was kind of... I was, we were just weren't having those conversations at the time. Um, she very easily go. could have been like, didn't we have like some sort of like Swedish or Nordic group that was there before? Mm-hmm. And she was using prosthetics, and you know we don't ever get an explanation like where does she get these prosthetics from? And... <laughs> I know that's what I want. So mm-hmm. her she's assistant, got a... her makeup artist. <laughs> yeah, well, she's got a full mask on and it's completely like contour to her face like when she's talking it doesn't like look funny or anything so i mm. think it would have probably behooved them to maybe go in a different route if we're going to use prosthetics 
you know, maybe we could have done the Swedish people, but, you know, I, I guess you could also, you could argue that we weren't having those conversations at that time, you know, but even yeah. though it's still, it's a little upsetting, but you know, at least we're wrapping it up trick. at this point. She should have ripped off her face at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Mission well, Impossible deal. style. Yes. <laughs> the big reveal. <laughs> but well, I think good. when I was a kid, I had mm. no idea that it was someone in makeup. I just thought it was a new person. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even paying attention to that observant. sort of thing. Like, yeah, I, I was I was 12. I wasn't paying attention to it. And you're right. We absolutely were not having those conversations at the time. And like, yeah. I know like Nintendo was even kind of a weird thing because, you know, it's like, it's from the Japanese, you know, it's like, it was like mm -hmm. this, this weird exotic culture at the time. And like, you know, like America yeah. just wasn't ready to, <laughs> to talk about anything then. No, so I'm glad I, that that translates and that it didn't ruin the experience for you. No, no. And I, you know, I don't know if maybe person of AAPI, like descent, I don't know how their reaction would be to watching. Oh it. yeah, I that's mean, true. As, you know, as someone who is, you know, not white, I just, it was a little unsettling, but it like, it didn't necessarily, I didn't, you know, I couldn't be personally offended because it wasn't, you know, against me, but it still was like, you know, a little like noticeable for me to be like, oh, that's probably not. Okay yeah. To do, but... yeah, they definitely wouldn't do that today, but no, I don't no, think no, it no. was offensive. Per yeah, I mean, I, mean I'm not, it... I, I can't speak for either, but know, it didn't seem like it was weird. trying to be a caricature. No, no, yeah, but then, you know, intentions can, kids still can't, I guess, you know, completely make it acceptable. But still, you know, it, it for me personally, it was just like, I knew it was coming to an end very soon. So I was just like, all right. And we Good. didn't get necessarily long form scenes with it. So it didn't necessarily ruin the experience for me. And I have, you know, overlooking his other works and stuff. I have certain feelings about the way that women are kind of treated in his his works and just how a lot of the violence tends to happen toward the women. But you know, it's, we, we weren't having these conversations and, you know, you can look back and say that it was not acceptable and still kind of process the art in your own way. Yeah. Good deal. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, we've already had, we've come close with a couple of guests of being like David Lynch and his treatment of women, but I feel like it's such a big <laughs> conversation. We can't just stick yeah, it in this is. episode. <laughs> no, yeah. It needs to probably be its own episode. <laughs> yeah. I'll say that society treats women in much the same way <laughs> so. yeah and there's a history of that in surrealism because i feel like that's kind of like sort of his area of it, art. It that's where I kind of get. and there's like a long history of that and you know in the world so it definitely deserves like its own long form conversation mm -hmm. yeah well we'll get to that someday <laughs> yeah for sure okay so so Catherine is at the jail she wants ben to Oh, she's in disguise at first. She wants Ben to sign the Ghostwood contract. And, okay. Okay, okay, okay. Before she reveals herself, <laughs> she wants him to sign the Ghostwood contract or return the money. And so he's, like, pleading for understanding until he's released. He can't do anything. <laughs> and then she removes her shoe and flashes her painted toenails. <laughs> and then she calls him a slimy rat bastard. <laughs> and... <laughs> He rejoices and kisses her feet. <laughs> <laughs> he offers to beg. And she says she wants Ghostwood and the mill. And he signs it over. 
And then she says she'll consider telling the sheriff about his alibi. <laughs> <laughs> Why tell the truth now? <laughs> We've been lying to ourselves our entire adult lives. <laughs> it was so great. It's such a great scene. I love the reveal of the toes, and I love Ben getting on the ground and kissing them. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so funny to be like, he just sees the feet, and he's like, immediately, he's like, that's Catherine. Like, he just knows <laughs> her feet for some reason. It's just like, <laughs> it just makes sense, because he's such a yeah. weird, pervy little character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm, very disconcerting scene. Donna stops by, in sunglasses, to see Leland. Oy. She gives him a tape of just you and I to mail to Maddie. Donna is back to smoking in the living room. <laughs> With sunglasses on. <laughs> yeah. And her hair is down, so. Yeah. yeah. That's the, yeah. the Laura Donna. She's still going mm-hmm. back and forth. Okay, so this answers a question we had from the last episode. She tells Leland about the secret diary, and he didn't seem to know about it at all. He seems very concerned. Because in the last episode, he said something about a dairy and Cooper put it together as diary. And Mm -hmm. we were like, did he know about the diary? Was this just like a weird psychic guess that he came close to it? And it seems from this scene that he did not know that they had found the diary because he seems Mm -hmm. like, oh, crap. (laughs) I'm probably in that diary. Right. Donna says she thinks about Laura all the time. The phone rings conveniently, probably saving Donna's life. (laughs) Seriously? It's Maddie's mom wondering where she is. Immediately, of course, Donna knows. She starts, Mm -hmm. tears start welling up. Leland eats a stick of gum. (laughs) I feel like you have to say that. Yeah. (laughs) Then he looks in his Bob mirror. Mm-hmm. I said, get out of there, Donna. <laughs> oh, yeah. All the shots of like <laughs> him standing in the living room in those very particular places and then like taking the phone call at that mirror. Like even before they showed Bob, it's like, oh, shit, I know. You know, it, it, it's not good. Anytime he looks in the mirror now, it's like, oh, well, that's mm-hmm. Bob. Like, even if you don't see the mirror, it's like, don't look at the yeah. mirrors ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, um, this scene, I, kept questioning like if donna kind of like knew or like maybe had suspicions that leland was the killer just because like she comes in and she's wearing laura's sunglasses like she knows that he knows they're laura's and she's got this kind of like alter ego that we've been kind of saying like her laura donna alter ego that she's been kind of like having while she's investigating and he gives her a drink and she doesn't drink from it like she kind of looks at it and puts it on the mantle. And so it's like she doesn't necessarily trust him and she's very uneasy going there. So I kind of wonder Mm -hmm. if she had suspicions of him the whole time. Not the whole time, but as of now. Well, I certainly hope not because why would you walk into there with suspicions? Yeah. And she doesn't say anything to James in the next scene either. Like, you know, you'd figure she would lead with that if she had her suspicions. I mean, I would talk, I mean, considering what happens next in the scene, I feel like, okay, but we're about to get there. (laughs) Yeah, because when we come back from commercial, Leland comes up behind Donna Mm -hmm. and scares her with the glass of juice and with his touching of her hair. Yeah. And Leland is like, oh, Maddie's just fine. And then he turns on a record and we see Bob mm-hmm. screaming. Yeah. Like, which is also like, 
this is where reality breaks from. Because sometimes you see Bob and you just assume Leland's doing the same thing as Bob, but mm-hmm. obviously Leland didn't scream because Toto right. would have really freaked out. <laughs> But Leland does have murder in his eyes, and he asks Donna to dance. There's thunder outside. And at a certain point, he grabs her and hugs her, and she is very scared. And it feels very much like he's about to kill her, but then the doorbell rings. Mm -hmm. And Harry comes in. They need Leland's help. There's been another murder. They leave, saving Donna. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) That was like, I mean, I've thought that Leland Bob was about to kill several people since we found out he's the killer. He's like, yeah. he like he's about to bash in Cooper's head in the last episode yep. with his yep. um, club. But this one, it's like, I think he definitely would have killed her within the next 10 minutes if Harry. Had oh, easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, all, all the cue dependency that we're getting from those like actual locations you know it's like he's obvious you know the 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 tight grip thing i mean he did that exactly with maddie i mean it was it was happening if he wasn't paying attention to the phone or the doorbell yeah and donna definitely needs some therapy after (laughs) yeah (laughs) trauma that you must have after Mm -hmm. two of your friends die your best friend dies then her lookalike dies and then you almost get killed by the same person and it's someone who you trusted. I mean, whew. nowadays yep. we would have a mental health awareness placard coming mm-hmm. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So next thing we see is her walking to the lake crying. I love that shot. Yeah. Just her. I mean, I can imagine myself in this similar situation, just walking down the streets crying. You know, she goes to the lake. James drives up. Donna tells him that Maddie is dead, even though she doesn't really know that, but she says that she's dead. She's killed by the same killer. James thinks that they somehow could have helped her. And then he says he has to go. She begs him not to, but he doesn't think it matters. Nothing will change. He leaves. She cries. What a jerk. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, yeah, scene one he's in. Yeah, it's like we everything's better when we're together and then it's like I'm getting on my bike and going. <laughs> you guys just had sex last night. You yeah. gave her a ring this morning and now you're like, Oh, Maddie's dead, it's our fault. Goodbye. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Without knowing any of the details or even that she's actually really dead. I mean Right. He's, he's the worst. <laughs> I yep. I did wonder about James this this scene, especially like He's just one of those characters who I don't want to dislike him. And I don't necessarily hate him, but there are so many things about him that like, it seems like all the people his age around him are able to kind of, I wouldn't say healthily (laughs) cope, but they're sort of coping in their own ways with Laura's death and now Maddie's death. And you have him who is like completely like unhinged, chaotic, is so one scene he's this when the next scene he's that like he can't seem to cope with it but you have all these people around him who are i would say in worse situations and they can handle it as well as as better than he can i don't understand to be honest he has very little right to be as crazy as he is (laughs) i mean compared to the other people he was just like laura's secret boyfriend for 
you know, a couple months. Couple months. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's got those weird boundary issues though. You know, it's like, you know, just like beating the hell out of that one lamp in the Palmer's house, you know, and, and then yeah, running out. Like, Why? I mean, like he, he's just, I don't know. Like the, His the thing I noticed. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. yeah, that's definitely true. <laughs> Except like the only time you feel like James is kind of like, reacting in a real way is whenever lynch is directing him it seems like everybody else just thinks you know it's like okay he's supposed to be this brooding biker guy or something but like lynch has a handle on him yeah yeah i agree i just i don't i don't know what to think of him because i feel like we're supposed to think that he's kind of like he's a biker he's kind of like part of this like rowdy kind of you know gang that's like supposed to be quote-unquote like bad but he never is giving that impression off to me he's always he's very emotional and he's very sensitive and he's more like those he's, retired harley davidson bikers who just yeah. drive around the mountains and eat salads and it's just like i don't i don't understand like audrey and donna were both near death and they're able to move on and try and help the people around him and he's just like well, i'm just gonna go ahead and just leave yeah. yeah, I wonder how much the character of James influenced my future dislike of certain character types. <laughs> I still have problems with the same type of characters in TV. Yeah, so. I will say, I will say that that this depiction of because he's supposed to be like seventeen, right? Seventeen, eighteen. Yeah. I would say this is probably the most realistic depiction of an actual 17 and 18 year old. <laughs> like buying a ring for someone that they're not really <laughs> dating, but sort of dating. And then later that same day being like, well, like, I'm just going to leave. When did he buy it? Sometime in the last two weeks, presumably. I you guess know, so. They've just, uh, it, it, the, the ring is, is questionable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't know that it comes back, but we'll see. We'll see. I have a tendency to skip the James future score. So I might have yeah. missed it. <laughs> so we're okay, so uh, then we get to the really good stuff. We're at the roadhouse. Lightning flashes. Ben is sitting at a table eating peanuts. Cooper, Albert, and Andy are there. Then Leland comes in with Harry. Someone else is meeting them. Oh, Ed is also there. They all help to clear the room. And then Leo and Bobby show up with Hawk. <laughs> uh, you know it's just funny to see who all were the suspects right cooper explains to them that the killer is in the room right now he's tried all the techniques including the tibetan method but now he needs something new magic and then there's <laughs> lightning <laughs> <laughs> and ben makes fun <laughs> mm -hmm. and so does albert a little bit <laughs> of course of course he's an idiot yeah, but it's because there was a missing piece. Right. Yes, exactly. Someone is missing. <laughs> and in comes Major Briggs and Senor. <laughs> <laughs> he gives Cooper a stick of gum. I'm not sure if it's Major Briggs or Senor who gives him the stick of gum. It was the waiter. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Leland says it's his most favorite, fav his most favorite gum in the world. <laughs> And then uh, Senor says, the gum you like is going to come back in style. And then we have some still photograph flashes illuminated by lightning. 
and the Red Room music plays, and Cooper has a vision of, or has, returns to the vision of Laura whispering to him, and he hears her say, my father killed me. My father killed me. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you. Just gave me chills. <laughs> and then the giant appears. See, my memory of her whispering that to him is like, oh, that happens in the last episode of <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, the giant appears. He gives Cooper back his ring. Cooper eats a stick of gum, picks up the ring. And then Cooper asks Ben to accompany him to the sheriff's station and asks Leland to come along as his attorney. Ed, Bobby, Leo, and Major Briggs are left in a confused tableau. And I was wondering, was Ed a suspect at some point? Was he considered a potential suspect? Were people I know in the him script the sometimes. In the scripts when they were keeping things unsafe and everything, I know there's a version where Big Ed is the one driving the car with the golf clubs and everything from the episode before. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Oh, I never even thought of him as a suspect until I realized, oh, he's here. (laughs) I thought more of him showing up was kind of like, you know, the bookhouse boys, I need more support Mm -hmm. kind of. That's what I kind of interpreted as, but that would make sense. He yeah. wasn't very clear in saying. You know, so. I mean, I guess Major Briggs isn't a suspect either. Right. Okay, so as he leaves, Cooper gives a thumb up, a thumbs up, and Senior gives a salute. At the station, Cooper whispers into Harry's ear. More whispering. <laughs> He's playing it like Ben is going to be charged. And they open the holding cell, and at the last second, they throw Leland in, and he immediately goes mad. He tears off his jacket, and he starts howling and running around across the room. It's scary. Yeah, more proof that Bob's the one in charge. Exactly. I was wondering if the other people, besides Harry, knew what was about to happen. I was trying to watch and see, does Hawk help push him in? Like, did they give the other No, no, it's, it's just Harry and Cooper doing it. Yeah, so they're all so shocked when they're looking at the door when it's happening, when Leland's just going crazy. But Hawk definitely seems the most, like, wary and interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he knew right away. Him. He says, that's not Leland. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, okay, so then they go in. Hawk is the one pointing his gun at Leland as they cuff him and officially arrest him. He's truly scary with his unhinged laughing. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I mean... He's so good in the scene. <laughs> he is. He talks as Bob, referring to himself in the third person, and then hooting maniacally. And he admits immediately to killing Laura and Maddie. And then he seems kind of like he's from The Exorcist when he knows about something that happened to Cooper in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So it's like Bob is kind of omniscient, <laughs> we can tell. When he does that, Cooper like takes a step backwards. Like... Oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Bob says that Leland was a good vehicle, but now he's weak and has a large hole where his conscience used to be. And he says when he leaves, he'll pull that ripcord and they can watch Leland remember. And then he kind of shuts down and they all leave the room. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gross. (laughs) Rewise is so good. And it's (laughs) like, this is really kind of, you know, cementing that Bob is 
not Leland, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's always a debate whether any of this metaphysical stuff is real or if it's just metaphor, you know, but mm-hmm. this this episode is implying definitely there are other worldly creatures. They can possess you and take over your whole life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. For a little lighthearted fair, Dick Tremaine enters. <laughs> of course. And Lucy collects him. <laughs> they and Andy sit together and she tells them what's what. She says she's keeping her baby. Dick lights a cigarette, a faded <laughs> cigarette. Mm. I feel like it's funny because I was thinking how well this episode is written with like, you know, they have this little scene that is actually adding to a whole other storyline and is giving some levity, but it's also setting the ground for what's going to happen because of this, mm-hmm. like, it's all set up so well. I love it when you can watch a show or a movie and you can see where they've set up each little thing that is going to happen. I just, yeah. I think it's, I agree. it makes Mm-hmm. you're a great writer when that happens so yes lucy says that she wants to do a paternity test after the baby's born and until that time she expects complete cooperation <laughs> <laughs> good for her and then we see dick's smoke floating up to the newly adjusted fire detector although i don't think that fire detectors actually start sprinkler by smoke i think it has to be heat but <laughs> yeah yeah well, we won't let reality interfere. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's enough have... for it, it's enough for us to connect the dots. All's good. Yeah, yeah. creative uh, allowances. <laughs> I'm sure that I thought that smoke did it for the longest time because of things like this. Mm-hmm. Cooper explains his deductions to Harry and Albert. He says first Ben's blood type was wrong, and then he says. What did the little man in my dream do? He danced. And Leland also danced compulsively. The killer we knew was a gray-haired man. Leland's hair turned white overnight. Plus some Robert stuff. <laughs> the the um, Robertson, the the name yeah. of the guy that uh, was down at Pearl Lakes that right, Leland right, right. mentioned. Son of Robert Bob. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Spilling oh, out his name and the... The letters under the fingernails, blah blah blah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was wondering if <laughs> yeah. maybe is he like um Leland Robert Palmer when we just I feel like he should have some <laughs> some semblance of Robert in his name, don't you think? Connection. <laughs> yeah. Do we ever know Leland's dad's name? No. We never even hear about his dad. We only ever hear about his grandfather. I feel like that's the oh, only um, piece of that's what I mean. Sorry. Um, I don't know. I don't think we hear what his name was. Okay, because I, I it was I, like Obadiah or something. <laughs> <laughs> Mountain names. Um, I just one of my theories for kind of what Bob represents, maybe or anything about that, could play into the whole son of Robert or you know whatever because of how Bob came to be in Leland. I just have right. some thoughts on that, so we can touch on that at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Leland starts reciting the Fire Walk With Me poem. Smoke alarm goes off, and so do the sprinklers. (laughs) That's what I wrote. I'm pretty sure that's not how sprinklers work. (laughs) (laughs) Leland, now soaked, screams, as does Bob. And he starts running into the door, headfirst. And they had just kind of left as this all started to happen, so they're running back. They're all slipping and sliding, trying to get the door open. And when they do... 
Leland is on the floor, bleeding from the head. And I actually, I've seen this scene a million times, but last night was the first time I was like, that's so disgusting. I feel gross. I can't look at it. Yeah, this is very mm -hmm. gross. Because, I mean, it's just like on the door and then, uh, uh, Hair. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Leland is crying about killing Laura. He says he didn't know and he asks for forgiveness. <laughs> so much happens in this episode. Cooper holds his head and Leland says that he was just a boy when he saw Bob in his dreams. Very Laura, which makes me think his grandfather must have been Bob before him. That's my theory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's gotta be, there's gotta be something. A connection. There's reality and there's not reality. Mm -hmm. And so there's gotta be a reality parallel too. Okay, he says, he went inside Leland and he never knew and couldn't remember what he did, that he made him do terrible things. They, they, he keeps referring to them as they, not him, not Bob, it's they, which is also really interesting. They wanted Laura, but she was strong and wouldn't let them in. He also killed Teresa, he admits to. Laura said that she would die before she let them in and then they made Leland kill her. And then he keens, what have I done? And says how much he loved her. And they are all soaked to the bone. <laughs> I mean, they're like sopping wet in this scene. And Cooper tells, basically tells Leland, it's time to die now. <laughs> go, go into the light. Let go. <laughs> in a very Cooper way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And Leland sees Laura as he dies and then he dies and the sprinklers shut off oh <sighs> such an intense and cathartic and yeah crazy tragic moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah from, is so good <laughs> yeah and from the beginning of that with like leland talking about like how you know bob you know wanted to play with him he let him in came inside him and all that stuff michael horse and i'm reading out of reflections by brad dukes which is an amazing oral history oh. um he, michael horse says that was really interesting to me because we were all in this room and i knew that we were calling out evil when bob was going to come out of ray wise the director said someone would go for help and i said i'll go i didn't want to be in there in that room when they were calling on that evil it had become it, it had become that real to me. I had a chance to get out of that room and I took it. I was uncomfortable or it was uncomfortable. So yeah, yeah that's how, <laughs> that's how intense it was even for the actors that day. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see that because Leland is, or Ray Wise, I should say, probably is just so good at playing it. He seems mm -hmm. possessed in like an exorcist sort of a possession sort of a way. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. I wouldn't have been surprised if he had like bent backwards and sort of walking on the ceiling. <laughs> kind of possession. <laughs> Although that wouldn't have been very Twin Peaks, but still. No. Yeah, it's like, it's terrifying. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, we'll get to this. Okay, we're about to get to it. And <laughs> I'll, I'll mention <laughs> what I know to say. Okay, so Cooper, Harry, and Albert walk on a path in the woods and meet Briggs. And Harry is just dumbfounded. He thinks that Leland was insane. And, but people saw Bob. You know, people actually saw Bob. And Briggs assures them that there's more in heaven and earth than is dreamt of in our philosophy. But Harry is having a hard time believing. And Cooper asks, is it any more comforting that a man would rape and murder his own daughter? 
No matter the cause, it's their job to stop it. Maybe that's all Bob is, the evil that men do. If he was real though, where is he now? <sighs> but, but before we get to where he is now, I wanna say, for me, I don't think it is more comforting that there are creatures that can possess you and cause you to do horrible things than it is that one person might have been insane and killed and raped his daughter. I think it's definitely not more comforting <laughs> to have creatures that live in the woods that can possess people. <laughs> it is not more comforting. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think the way I kind of saw it was, um, I think in a way, especially when you're that close to such like a heinous crime, it might, I could see it maybe being more comfortable that it's like this outside force and that they can be like, well, we can stop this. We can work out a way to put an end to this. Because if you think about it as in, it was a father raping and killing his own daughter, it's like almost incomprehensible to us because we don't understand how something that terrible could happen. And it's like, how do you stop that? You don't understand anything about it. It doesn't seem even possible. Whereas like, mm -hmm. if it's like, oh, it's this other thing, we can figure out how to stop that thing. And then everything Yeah, like at okay least it doesn't come from humanity. See, yeah, right, that, right, right. that's opposite for me because I'm like, <laughs> right. no, I understand. People are crazy. People will do stuff. They will be bad. They might have bad brain chemistry. They might do something horrible. But right. strange creatures that can just possess <laughs> anyone at any time is, and make them do horrible things is way less comforting to me than like yeah. people are people, you know, and they're bad sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems harder to stop. I would think it would be harder to stop a metaphysical creature who can just leave. Yeah, who who attaches to you else. during yeah, like who can attach to you during drama or something. Yeah. Like it it's spooky. Like there's there's a whole like all that stuff is kind of like based in like real mythology or whatever. Like mm -hmm. the um the the Art Bell uh, Coast to Coast AM thing mm -hmm. that the the late night radio show that happened like Mark Frost was huge into that show so like he <laughs> he actually gets like all the um, alien abduction and like you know uh, spiritual parasites and everything from like oh, yeah. real wow. real stuff that was documented at that point you know I mean not not in a in, like conspiracy theory way. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I okay. love that stuff. I think it's yeah. way more interesting to watch as mm -hmm. an audience member, but I don't find it more comforting and no. in the way she performs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just love how, like, you can actually kind of attach all that stuff into, like, you know, the Bob mythology. And, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, Leland, Leland had all this terrible stuff happen to him. And then, like, there's this, you know, like, a, a vampire could, like, come in and, like, attach to him. And it, it's just... I mean, it's, well, it's almost like the vampire did the horrible stuff to him. Yeah, so that exactly. They could come in and attach to right. him. Well, it's yeah, just, that's that's yeah, yeah. It's I all don't know. I don't know. I I mean, I personally like that it is because it also gives us a lot easier to talk about it. You know, mm -hmm. as a society, I, agree. I don't want to be talking about people raping and murdering their daughters. Yeah, but I'll talk about Bob possessing someone. Yeah, and exactly. Them to do horrible things, and. Yeah. You know, even we were, remember when we were back when we did Eraser Head, I was talking about absurdism and how, well, I don't know if, uh, maybe this wasn't what I was talking about, but like, I don't know if you're familiar with Brecht. I might have talked about this in that episode, mm -hmm. but he had 
he did all these really dark musicals where you would actually see the behind the scenes and front of the scenes and the musical numbers were really weird but the whole point of a lot of it was to break the audience out so they can have a distance from what they're seeing so they can think about mm-hmm. what they're seeing and not be sucked into the emotion which i feel is very what all of this <laughs> bob and mike and stuff mm-hmm. does for twin peaks yeah so I think it works really well. Yeah. Definitely makes yeah. it more interesting to me. <laughs> it, it's also a nice, easy, we can actually air this on uh, network television kind of palatability <laughs> too. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I like that, the whole Breck thing of like kind of breaking the audience away so that it's not over emotional. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like introducing it with a third, almost like a third party Un, almost inhuman kind of being doing all this terrible stuff allows the audience to kind of invest more into the series. And if it had just been Leland doing it the whole time, I feel like a lot of people really would have been put off by it. It would have been mm-hmm. maybe a little too real for some people. And so this kind of like element that is not necessarily really, that doesn't really mirror our reality, it kind of allows people to invest more into the story and take more away from it, I think, at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the difference with, like, the killing, which seems influenced by Twin Peaks, but it doesn't have any of the, you know, mm-hmm. um, underlying, interesting, weird stuff going on. And right. while it's still a really good show, it's like, I can only take so much of that. <laughs> but yeah, I could watch a million... <laughs> I could have have watched a million seasons of Twin Peaks, I'm sure. Right. I mean, yeah. I could rewatch it a million times at least. Mm-hmm. Okay, but there's one more thing that happens before the end of the episode, because after they ask, where is Bob now, if he was real, we see the world through the eye of an owl bathed in very 80s-looking special effects. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it has a very labyrinth vibe. <laughs> There are actually a couple moments in this um, episode where I was watching it and just like the incidental music, not like, it sounded very labyrinth to me. Like mm-hmm. it had kind of like, I don't know, it sounded like when, not the songs of labyrinth, but like in between the songs when it was just like a creepy music, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just kept getting labyrinth vibes throughout this whole episode from the music. And then the big owl at the end, Felt very elaborate. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for the recap. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite part? <laughs> I I kind of had two favorite parts, and I'll, I'll save one of them just in case one of you, and I don't want to take one of y'all's, but I would say my favorite part is that scene of Donna after she leaves the Palmer house and she's like crying and walking down the street. Uh It just like, I feel like we were kind of getting very raw Donna. We were like kind of getting a really peeled back. Like this is Donna. She's not playing this kind of like either, you know, trying to be like the perfect daughter or she's not trying to be like that girl, Laura. She's just being herself. And I feel like it's our first instance of her getting to mourn Laura's death like properly because I kind of have this feeling and you know I don't know if it's like necessarily like how plausible it is to like the canon of like what's going on but I just have this feeling that 
Maddie, because her and Laura are so connected and they're, you know, essentially almost the same person that in a way, Laura knew the danger that would be there for um, Donna. And so it may be retroactively, I don't know, supernaturally, whatever, sent Maddie to be there. And the killing of Maddie is almost like the final killing of Laura. And Donna is now finally getting to mourn her best friend. And it just feels so like sad and raw. And I really loved just being in that scene and seeing her like that. Yeah, that's, I actually was thinking very much the same lines because it's like when James leaves and she's just like left with all this stuff, I was Mm -hmm. like, well, this is the problem with immediately getting into a relationship with your best friend's boyfriend you're like just putting off all of this emotion that you should be experiencing Mm -hmm. to you know hide in this weird relationship that's never gonna work and right yeah definitely i could definitely see that yeah especially after coming so close with a brush with the death (laughs) herself (laughs) i think there's probably also like a bit of that in there and you know the whole thing of like maddie's mom calling right at that moment and Mm. It just feels like there's like, I don't know, like Laura is like sort of pulling the strings a little bit to kind of help Donna in any way. And it almost feels like, I don't know if we'll get more Donna, but it almost feels like when, after she leaves there and she kind of has this realization that probably Leland killed them both and Maddie's dead, it's like Donna has almost completed her part in ending all of this like that's all that she could do and her kind of role in ending this has come to an end and so now she's finally able to just rest and kind of experience everything that she's been putting off yeah great insights (laughs) what's your favorite part john (laughs) oh man that all that donna and leland stuff like is Mm. is pretty top notch but i mean the oh my gosh (laughs) it's it's like it, it's like one big episode of of great scenes in that it regard. Is. Like that, <laughs> like anything with Ray Wise is just there. But the thing that I was noticing this time around was that like the lightning doesn't start until Bob's at the record player. So it's like the the lightning is kind of metaphorical to begin with, mm. and then the roadhouse scene like you can actually see the lightning bolt outside in the establishing shot, and then there's the lightning inside, but that's kind of like part of almost Cooper's invocation of magic at this point. So it's like, is the lightning real? And then when the storm finally does break through, it's the artificial sprinklers. So like this whole thing is like, it's like, it's a real storm and a real cleansing, but in a metaphorical way too. Like it, it it like plays both sides of the fence at the same time. And I, I just really, I, I was enjoying that kind of aspect to it because it's like, it's not the part that you would normally be paying attention to, but it's like, it's all like right there in concrete terms that it's not as concrete as it seems like. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I did, yeah. I did like uh, Cooper just being like, we're dealing with magic now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, and Christian, I did think of something when you were talking, I was thinking, well, from now on, I'm going to think anytime something good happens, that's Laura helping out. So I just, I'm going to try to remember that in the future. I just, I, I feel like that these, I, I don't know, we don't, I at this point, I don't know much about this other like realm that 
Bob and Mike and everyone's from, but because of like the scenes where we get the thunder and the rain and everything, it feels like that place is so chaotic and everything there is chaos. Mm. And that's kind of like the thunder and the rain is kind of like a signal to us. Like we've entered into this territory now. We're not in the normal area. We're in this other realm, um, which is why we get Bob like unhinged because he's like, you know, chaotic. But Mm -hmm. I just feel like because the giant comes in and is trying to help Cooper find out who it is and the tree monster kind of like in a weird way playing a role in figuring it out. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it would wouldn't make sense that someone like Laura, who is so pivotal to these two areas, these two realms, that she would not also be pulling the strings as best she could. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I guess for me, I'll say, of course, the final scene with Ray Wise and the rain coming down, not rain, but the sprinklers coming down is so effective so memorable i mean it is just so well done but i really like the scene after where all the guys are just kind of trying to evaluate what they've seen Mm -hmm. and wonder themselves what is really going on and you know in a way i think that both things like harry and cooper are right i think Mm -hmm. yes we see in this episode there are definitely creatures blah 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 but i think that also Leland was a messed up person who did these things himself. So I feel like both are true and existing in parallel. And then we've Mm -hmm. got this whole thing that connects them so that they're on top. This is kind of the theory I was coming up with, but like, it's like two realities. They're both real. They're both valid. They're both existing at the same time on top of each other. And we're just, you know... I don't know. I haven't formulated the theory, but I feel like they're both concretely real explanations and really happening at the same time. Whether he's mm-hmm. possessed or not possessed, I feel like he is both at the same time. Very Schrodinger's cat kind of a feeling. Like sure. two states of reality are existing on top of each other, which is why I got the like fairyland vibes, because I feel mm-hmm. like that's kind of described that way. Like it's another world that's happening right on top of us. And sometimes you can see into it. And maybe sometimes they cross over and, you know, maybe people are living, you know, maybe Donna's in this one and I don't know, somebody else is in, or James is in a different one. <laughs> and they're still together, but they're both in a different. They're separate almost. Mm-hmm. I think I, I like that. And I, it kind of goes along with how I'm feeling about it. Uh, there seems to be a constant theme in Twin Peaks of dualities and there's yes. always two things that exist that are both true. So we have like these two sides of Laura um, that are both Laura. They're just totally completely different. And we have that for everyone. Really, we have it for Donna. We have it sort of for James, although I don't think his was as developed. Even for like Harry, you know, with his juicy side and his softer side. And so I like that you said that these two things are happening, but they're both true. And Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of like the, maybe, I don't know, it it could be like one of the messages that maybe they wanted to get across with the show is that two things that are completely different and maybe don't seem to have any relation can exist at the same time and both be valid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of feeling so far. 
And it's hard to wrap your brain around it because, you know, we're like, we yeah. live in a space and a time and yeah. we can't think of ourselves as being in multiple spaces and times at the same time. But Right. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And back in 1990, that would have been pretty subversive. Like that, I, I think you're absolutely right that that last scene is pretty much necessary because, you know, like a lot of people really right. put down this episode for like giving giving Bob all all the guilt. Mm. But that last scene kind of doesn't do that. You know, it, it, it right. like it, it undoes it. You know, it's like here, here's your TV ending. And then we're going to we're going to craft the conversation to say, but is it really that easy? Is it really that you know, simple? Yeah. 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 I mean, Leland, even if we were going to say Bob was in control, Leland made a choice at some point because Laura yeah. had the same choice. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. he made right. the choice to say, yes, I'm going to accept this person or this thing. And yeah. Be in charge of my life, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Because yeah. based on the diary, it's like Bob was present around Laura even before 12. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. I, and I don't think we ever, at least I didn't see that there was ever any impression that this was all Bob's fault. Like it never felt like anyone was kind of not giving Leland part of the guilt just because, you know, in that last scene when Bob is gone, he's saying like, like he said, like they made me do it. I killed them. Like, and he's Mm -hmm. feeling the guilt of it. And so I think he's taking the blame as equally as Bob would take the blame and so I don't think that, I think I like that last scene, like you said, it's so crucial and and kind of saying that, you know, both of these things happened and they're both true. Both of these people did this thing. They're both responsible. Yeah. yeah. And I think that it kind of bears itself out throughout the rest of Twin Peaks. We'll have to keep an eye, but mm-hmm. I'm sure by the time we're in, maybe I'll act at the end, maybe I'll have an actual theory instead of just some <laughs> ideas of a theory. Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a great discussion. Let's move on to the deep dive. Arbitrary Law. From the Twin Peaks Unwrapped book, the logline is... And I don't know if these are log lines that someone else came up with or if just Twin Peaks Unwrapped came up with them, but I love them. (laughs) It says, uh, Cooper takes 24 hours to be sure that Laura Palmer's murderer is caught. (laughs) (laughs) Straight to the point. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so just a few things from that book. There was um, an interview with Kyle MacLachlan, and he said that all the signs were pointing towards Leland, but no one was really sure. And then we got the script, and yes, that's what it was. And this is very difficult to imagine, the idea of this possession. And then it turned into a different thing, that he was actually released from this awful torture. There's something bigger out there that is doing this that's even more dangerous and more frightening. So he was, like, really into this. I thought it was really interesting, like, he's being released from a a torture, which is an interesting Mm -hmm. way to look at it. And then uh, Ben Durant, who is one of the hosts of Twin Peaks Unwrapped and author of the books, he was saying that his favorite quote from the episode comes from Albert Rosenfeld. And he says, when he says, maybe that's all Bob is, the evil that men do. And he says, I 
kind of what we were saying. I think it's easier for viewers and even Ray Wise, the actor, to deal with Laura Palmer being abused and killed by an evil spirit than by her own father, who is supposed to protect her and care for her. Child abuse is happening every day, and Lynch Frost made it a little easier to discuss Bob carrying out the horrific acts, which is what we were kind of saying. Yeah. Right. Okay, but of course I did Leland for our sorting. <laughs> I was looking at his trading card, and apparently his nickname is Lee, which I don't think I ever oh. heard anyone call him Lee. No one calls that. <laughs> Not even Sarah, I don't think. No. Nope. <laughs> his birthday is February 26, 1944, which would make him a Pisces. And at the, on the trading cards, it says strengths and weaknesses. And I just thought it was funny. His weakness was listed as Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody's weakness. <laughs> yeah. So I was looking him up astrology-wise, and I weirdly found, like, an, a birth chart for Leland Palmer. Huh. But the, birth, the birth date was actually from June 16th, 1945. And when hmm. I looked at it, it said it was the chart of an actress. And I was like, there's an actress born a year after Leland Palmer named Leland Palmer who, anyway, I clicked on the Wikipedia page and it went straight to the character of Leland. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's huh. very weird. I don't know so weird. how that worked. But okay. So first, since he was listed as a Pisces, I figure we could read some Pisces description. And it says, Pisces, reluctant to express genuine emotions, extremely sensitive, intuitive, kind, pessimistic, gullible, not materialistic, but can be extreme penny pinchers. Because they will do anything to make money and stay on top of their finances, they may become caught up in nefarious activities, which can escalate to violence, abuse, or something criminal. It doesn't sound like Pisces to me, but <laughs> I trust whoever the astrologer is who wrote it. It also doesn't really sound, I mean, it does have similarities to Leland, but I, of course, looked up because a lot of people have sorted the Twin Peaks characters, and I found one that says that Leland is a Gemini, which does kind of make sense. It says Leland Palmer isn't just a Gemini because Geminis tend to have a bad rap or anything like that. It just fits <laughs> the character really well. Once we find out about halfway through the original run of the show that he's the one who killed Laura Palmer, possessed by Bob, driven to do evil things like murder Laura and torture Ronette, his dual nature is revealed. Split personality, adaptable, sarcastic, flighty, impulsive, and anxious are some of the characteristics of Gemini. And I think that they just said Gemini because Geminis are supposed to have kind of split personalities, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that fits Leland. But my experience of Geminis is not they are com two completely different people. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> but okay, so what I thought... And I figure if anyone in this show is going to deserve to be a Scorpio, it should be Leland. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote down the description of that. Emotional yet cunning. Exude passion and confidence. Good emotional suppressors. Their emotions are their greatest weaknesses. Abrasive, intense, jealous, obsessive, controlling, and insecure. And I thought that sounded most like Leland to me. <laughs> Could you go with that? Yeah. I, I I kind of think like that's very much Leland with Bob in him. I like the Pisces. The Pisces is what you said first, right? Yeah. I like the idea of that. And when you said like they tend to be like do anything that to get like, I guess, on top of their money or whatever. I thought maybe money is more of like 
a general like currency. And maybe you could argue that that was Leland in the past, like when he was quote unquote battling Bob and his currency would be kind of like surviving and like having his life. And he kind of just, you know, it was easier to give in than to fight him the whole way. Well, and he's, he is a uh, lawyer for um, yeah. <laughs> a fairly criminal person. So he probably does have right. a lot of interest in money and can't get mm-hmm. him to nefarious activities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I could see both. But I did find a couple people who did like Sun, Moon, Rising. And the two that I found, it has this in order sun moon rising leo pisces gemini and the other one was gemini scorpio pisces <laughs> so <laughs> i feel like pisces and gemini are definitely things that people are drawn to for drugs. i just feel like yeah i mean he's got the darkness he's got the emotional manipulation and obsessiveness that a scorpio yeah. tends to have um, oh, yeah. i think even with or without bob but <laughs> I, I agree it's hard to I say agree. what he would be like without bob because he's had bob his whole life as far as we know. Right. So. That's true. So, I don't know. <laughs> we'll just say some combination <laughs> of Pisces, Gemini, and Scorpio, I would assume. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to say we'll leave the Leo out of it. <laughs> Although he does like to perform. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, John? I just kind of barreled through that. <laughs> no, no. I, um, I don't know enough about astrology to really <laughs> contribute too much. But it all sounds uh, pretty accurate. I mean, I, I would... I would say the Gemini thing reflects his current character probably best, but you know, then you got to split the hairs of, you know, who's who. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, we'll just say Pisces, Gemini, Scorpio, some sun, moon, rising combination of those. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. And for D and D chaotic evil. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think I even think without Bob as a lawyer, he's still chaotic evil, you know. He's not yeah. awful, even though he's a lawyer. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. clearly, he's working for Ben, so. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that was easy. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so final thoughts on the episode. Oh, gosh. Well, I... I I really like this episode. I think this episode is meant to kind of spring us into the more supernatural element of Twin Peaks. If we're kind of done with all the physical world kind of stuff for the most part, it did give me some sort of maybe theories on maybe like Bob and like what this whole journey with Bob represents. And they're very general because we, you know, have so much more to go over. We're not even halfway through the season. Right. I just, I felt like, especially in this episode, Bob really represents this idea of, like you said earlier with like the child abuse, like the cycle that happens when you kind of look at these backgrounds of people who get caught, how it's been kind of like intergenerational between families and it's been kind of passed down in a way. And so Bob can be, to me, like this representation of that trauma being passed down and taking hold. And Laura was the one who said that I'm going to end this cycle. Like she's not mm-hmm. going to participate. She's not going to do this. She's not going to let Bob win. Uh-huh. And so I like the idea of Bob being this symbol of, you know, the evil that men can do, the evil of 
the trauma, whether it's like sexual abuse or physical violence or whatever that is passed down. And that's why I think it's very interesting that, you know, maybe his grandfather gave Bob to Leland. Maybe something happened. Like, you know, he's, he met Bob in his dreams, like Laura did, you know, and uh-huh. it just seemed to mirror almost exactly the way that she was introduced to it through Leland. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I like the idea of Bob representing that sort of trauma and the duality of Twin Peaks, how, you know, this metaphysical being can exist, but also this metaphor of this intergenerational trauma. Yeah. Actually, yeah. when you were talking about Bob and representing cyclical or cycles i actually was thinking the word bob is kind of yeah it feels cyclical it's got a big o in mm-hmm. the middle of it it's like a palindrome isn't that when it's yeah it's a palindrome. so anyway <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and I, you know b-o-b we're going back to the start so yeah it's repeating yeah yeah and generational trauma really is a um a general theme within twin peaks so i i think right. you're you're right <laughs> you're right in the wheelhouse <laughs> <Okay>. here <laughs> good yeah. i don't feel so crazy <laughs> no <laughs> there's no reason to feel crazy with twin peaks because <laughs> there are no. lots of theories out there <laughs> um, yeah well and i you know i like the idea of you know them not telling us exactly like maybe what their intentions were for this season like what sort of message or idea they were trying to get across just because I feel like the work kind of speaks for itself. And Mm -hmm. I think it represents a lot of different things. And, you know, the idea like you know, I think the central theme of the show is that two, you know, multiple things can be true. And that theory of Bob can be true as well as multiple other theories about Bob. He can represent so much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's why Twin Peaks is such a great fan community. (laughs) Yeah. There's no, I mean, I've noticed sometimes in the Jane Austen one, you know, people are like, no, your theories are wrong. But I feel like it's, <laughs> you can never say anyone's theory is wrong because there's no. really no <laughs> definitive answers. Yeah. Yeah. There's too, there's too many points that don't have like, like, oh my gosh, what do you call it? Like, you can't draw any one line to... Mm-hmm between one point and another point it's like you you need conjecture for any connections you make yeah right yeah although i feel like with jane austen <laughs> there's a lot that's unsaid <laughs> so you can definitely do the oh, same yeah. thing <laughs> yeah and i i i think with with that and you know i feel like twin peaks does and it might speak to like how it was created in a more modern time it gives these allowances for other sort of ideas to kind of like be acceptable just because I think about like the rigidity of you know colonial culture and how England post-colonial was kind of adopting this like Victorian ideal of very strict guidelines for society and I feel like maybe that's why the Jane Austen crowd is so strict about like, it has to represent one thing, whereas this allows multiple interpretations. And that's why it speaks so clearly to like so many different kinds of people with so many different messages. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I personally think Jane Austen is definitely open for lots of interpretation, but there's a lot more people (laughs) who are willing to say no, (laughs) where I think in Twin Peaks, people aren't as willing to say no, just because, there's just it no just, way to know. <laughs> right. And it, I think it speaks so clearly to so many different people. Like, 
Yeah. And they are just understand. It's like the mysteries about Dan, and it's like, hello, please have theories. <laughs> right. Right. I agree. My final thoughts for this episode is this was a great three episode arc. Ray Wise, like, really cements himself as one of the stars, big stars of Twin Peaks. Maybe oh, yeah. the star, besides Kyle McLaughlin, of Twin Peaks. And from here out, it's not as obviously, it's not going to be Laura focused and who's the killer of Laura focused. Right. A lot of people tend to fall off after this point and they're like, it's just not for me anymore. Personally, we're getting to some of my favorite Twin Peaks stuff, which I know I'm probably uh-huh. an outlier, but I just find a lot of what's coming in the future to be very fun. And I think we're gonna have a really good time with it when we get to it. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited to get to that. But I think that up until now, we've really got Twin Peaks like distilled (laughs) you know we're getting just Mm -hmm. up until now we've seen like what it originally was made for what you know it is in its greatest idealization at least from what they conceived it as in the future we definitely get more of that i mean there's so much many iterations of twin peaks but for the rest of season two i think we're gonna have a lot of fun (laughs) and i would like to say if you are a twin peaks person who either A, loves the rest of the stuff that is coming, you should definitely listen along because we're going to have a lot of fun with it. And I know how annoying it is to listen to a Twin Peaks podcast and you get to (laughs) the second part of season two and they're all like ragging on it. And you're like, I don't want to listen to you guys talk about this anymore because I want to hear you talk about how great it is. Or if you're someone who doesn't like the second half, you might want to listen to us because maybe you can find some new appreciation for it. Because I know when I listen to the Diane podcast, one of my favorites, when they went over the second season, the James storyline is the one that I have the hardest time with, and they treated it in such a way that made me appreciate it more. So hopefully you guys will stay with us for the second half of Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. even whether you love it or hate it. I think, you know, we'll be able to talk about it in a way that maybe will give you a new perspective. <laughs> yeah, I don't see how you could drop off at this point. Like, there's so much I want to know. Oh, I know. You don't. I, I was me. like, I, so I don't. <laughs> I know. Like, I don't want to yeah. abandon now that just because I know who the killer is, like, there's mm-hmm. so much more fun to be had. Yeah. Yeah. And and the original point of Twin Peaks was that that was just going to be a jumping off point either. And, I mean, anyway, you know, Frost and Lynch, you know, they were just looking for an entryway. In, and like, nobody knew that it was going to catch on quite as intensely as it did with the culture of the day. And yeah, so... It, it is interesting to see where everything is going to go. And I was going to ask you, Christian, like, where do you think all the supernatural kind of stuff is going to lead eventually? Um, it's so hard to say because I keep the. I think the number one thing that I am really interested right now is like, how does Major Briggs fit into the supernatural mm-hmm. part? Because I feel like we have all of these points that you know we have a lot of questions in Twin Peaks have a lot of things unanswered and I feel like we're just maybe now starting to get a little bit more of that and I I don't I don't know like it's so hard to say I I'm interested to see where Bob goes next and how how are they even going to go about finding him how do you track something like Bob Mm -hmm. so I don't know I'm it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I feel like Major Bricks is going to play a bigger part. 
in this okay. upcoming. <laughs> and I feel like we're going to get more into how we access this other area. How do we access these beings easier? Because I feel like up to this point, it's been like just happenstance or by chance them coming to us. And now we're, you know, we get our mm -hmm. first bit of us going to them. And so Good I think deal. we're going to get, I feel like I, we're going to get a lot more of this other place. And so cool. I'm so excited. <laughs> and who do you think is going to be tied into it besides Major Briggs? I think uh, definitely the log lady. I feel like she has such a connection to that other place. But I think my wild guess is going to be Nadine because, <laughs> and I, you know, I might be completely wrong, but I feel like she is really going through something right now. She clearly has something special about her. She has this crazy human strength. So <laughs> like there's mm -hmm. something there that keeps like, you know, itching at me to see like, what is her connection to this? Because there's something there that we haven't even seen yet. I feel like cool. that's my wild guess. <laughs> All right. Well, I like it. Oh, it makes me excited <laughs> to get to it and be able to I know. find it all yeah. out with you. <laughs> um, wait, did, we did your final thoughts, right, John? Did um, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, we, we had the little interruption. But um, I mean, technically, I didn't really add in a whole lot of final thoughts. But I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about not, not going overboard with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because there's, I mean, we're still in the middle of a season. <laughs> you yeah, know, it yeah. feels like the end of a season finale. It's there's still. Mm -hmm. I, oh gosh, I can't wait. So much. <laughs> well, we're we're taking our own personal little two month break, mm -hmm. and then we'll be back, and we might just go straight into the rest of season two. We haven't decided Good what deal. we're doing next yeah. yet. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I'll be here for it. Of course, well, we would love <laughs> to have you anytime. Okay, so should we just go ahead and do recommendations then? Sure. sure. I'll go first. <laughs> okay. Because I've been dying to do this as a recommendation, and luckily, I got to watch the first episode, so I'm going to recommend Loki. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was a little sad because I thought, oh, Loki's going to come out in our break, and I'm never going to get to recommend Loki. But uh, <laughs> the perfect timing, I can recommend it for the last one, even though it'll be way over by the time this episode comes out. I, I love Marvel. I love their weird stuff, of course. You know, mm -hmm. that's anything like Twin Peaks I will like. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it definitely has a lot of cool, I don't know, it's like messing with time, and it's got a whole different power mm -hmm. structure, and Tom Hiddleston is great as Loki, and I'm really interested to see all the supporting characters. Owen Wilson was great, and... Mm -hmm. I really can't wait to see what Marvel is doing with this whole phase, whatever they're on, because it's getting so interesting to me. I'm afraid it's getting too interesting for me. Like other people are going to be like, no, that's not interesting anymore. It's getting too hard for my brain. But I'm like, yes, give me more of this craziness. <laughs> so I'm very excited to spend the next month or a month and a half watching Loki three times a week. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like the MCU is getting so, it's so big now. I feel like there's so much that they're bringing into this phase with the Eternals and this, I can't remember what the, the, the TVA, like uh -huh. it just feels like everything that 
we had been building up to with like Thanos and everything. I'm like, that's so small. Like, I don't even care about this anymore. This was nothing <laughs> because like, even like the, the scene where he's like, has just a tray full of infinity stones. He's yeah. like, these are worthless. And it's just like everything that we have been building up to for years and years, it feels like that is like one yeah. millimeter on the yardstick that we have left to go. Yeah, and I feel like it's really mm-hmm. setting up its own kind of real mystery, and it's going to be like mm-hmm. so many red herrings, twists and turns. We're going to oh, think a lot of people are the villains until we get to the end. So I'm very excited yeah. to see what happens. <laughs> yes, and there's yeah. so many good actors in this too. I'm super excited. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. oh, they've all got such good actors. Yes. <sighs> all right, who wants to go next? <laughs> <laughs> I can go next. Okay. I don't. No, I may have recommended this before, but I just finished season two. Um, but I'm going to recommend uh, HBO Max show Legendary. It is a reality show competition show that is that does with like a ballroom culture, and oh. it this second season was so it was so good, and you can clearly tell they were given a lot more money to do more stuff, more production stuff. But this whole season was shot during COVID, so they couldn't have like a live audience, which I think really added to the the performances because you didn't have to pander to an entire audience. You just had to pander to these judges. Oh, um, and so, but it's got a great judging panel. It's got La Roach, who's a great stylist who does people like Zendaya and Tom Holland. He does like all the young stars right now. And he's just really knowledgeable about queer culture and fashion. And then you have Megan Thee Stallion, who is like probably my favorite performer right now. She's just so extraordinary. And then you have, you know, Jamila Jamil from The Good Place. <laughs> and then you have Laomi Maldonado, who is like a ballroom legend, has created so much for ballroom and has inspired people. Like Beyonce has taken some of her dances and has used them herself. So she's such wow. an influential ballroom. And it's it's great to learn about this culture even more and how it is today and to see all these people and how talented they are. So awesome. I would really recommend it. It was so much fun to watch. <laughs> cool. You said it was on HBO Max? Yes. And yeah, season one and season two, and they're both really good. I like season two a little bit more just because there was so much more I felt. So Yeah. Awesome. What about you, John? Do you have a recommendation for us? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's old news for so many people at this point, but we've been watching <laughs> Shit's Creek and um, like just all the characters on that show are just so pleasant and happy. And, you know, it's <laughs> like we kind of steered away from it for a while because, you know, it's like you hear about, you know, oh, rich people going to a small town. It's like, oh, boy, you know, like, is it going to be <laughs> right. like Seinfeld where you just can't like any of the characters? You know, it's like, uh-huh. we don't know. <laughs> so it took us so long to get there. But we we started season six the other the other day. And it's just so solid and happy. And it's it's always nice to be able to root for people who are rooting for each other. And it's just <laughs> a nice little hug in <laughs> in yeah. this year of just like absolute craziness that is so, one that i yeah. don't know it's been on my list forever and oh, i never started i just i can't do very many uh, shows at a time right now so it yeah. just hasn't made it yet but yeah, yeah well they're I only 22 minutes like each and <laughs> it's it's super happy so we yeah. we recommend it okay i'll have to watch it it'll be a perfect yeah. summer show <laughs> yeah oh, it's a it great actually, summer show yeah oh awesome uh okay well 
But John, it's been so great having you. I yes. can't wait to hear what you have to say about persuasion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, my wife and I we're gonna we're gonna put together a little feedback thing for your um for your oh my gosh it's what, what do you call it it's not the recap show it's the um the in between check in <laughs> thank you yeah yeah we'll have something for your check in on that one so that'll be fun oh, it's really so nice good. reading Austin for the first time. I love it. I love it. I, I yes. keep uh, telling um, on these episodes, like, if you're a Jane Austen person who's watching Twin Peaks for the first time, please write us and let us know. I'm sure there's got to be some. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, contact. I forget about contact information. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to write into yes. us, like John, about what you thought of Twin Peaks or Persuasion, because the next next week is going to be our check-in, so we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, you could email us at mannersandmadness at gmail.com. You can DM us on Twitter at mannersmadness or on Instagram at mannersmadnesspod. Or you can leave a one-minute voicemail on our website at mannersmadness.com. Yes, and there's a support button there. Any little bit would help us with our microphone fund, which hopefully when we have our next episode, you will get to hear all of our sound much improved. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, by then, I'll have figured out how the microphones work. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this has been so great. I had such a blast. Yes. Thank you again, John. You yes, thank you. Are our well, ex Twin Peaks expert, and we love <laughs> that you are listening to the show and a part of it. It's been so great. well. I always appreciate you too. Anyway, and I, I you know, thanks for having me back. Anytime. And I'd love to do it again anytime. <laughs> yes, we'll definitely. definitely have to anytime. have you for a, a Jane Austen now that you're getting into her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, we've got a couple of Jane Austen people who we want to have back for some Twin Peaks episodes too, because they were like, we watched Twin Peaks, so real crossover guests. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yes. This is the part of the show that I can never do because I never know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, All you right. take it away, Christian. Say goodbye to the people for us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And we will see you next week with our check-in. We'll be fresh back from our two-month uh, personal hiatus. So we'll be so happy to be back. Yes. And we can't wait to talk to you. Good yes, night, thank everyone. you for listening. Bye. <laughs>